We Saved You a Seat is sponsored by the Oklahoma Family Network. Oklahoma Family Network focuses on supporting families of children and youth with special health care needs and disabilities, as well as families who have children with a mental health or behavioral health diagnosis. Oklahoma Family Network provides families with emotional support, resource navigation, parent-to-parent engagement opportunities, and wants to ensure quality health care for all children and families by building strong and effective family professional partnerships. Hello, and welcome to We Saved You a Seat podcast. I'm Tamara Crabtree with Oklahoma Family Network, and on today's podcast, we have Cheryl Coleman. Cheryl is a retired lactation consultant. She's been a registered nurse for 45 years and an international board certified lactation consultant for 10 She served as the lead for Hillcrest Medical Center's baby-friendly designation. Prior to working at Hillcrest, Cheryl worked as an education specialist and clinical nurse manager at Oklahoma State University Medical Center. She has served as a board member with the International Childbirth Education Association, or ICEA, for 14 years in various capacities, including Director of Public Relations, Secretary, President-Elect, and President. She was on the faculty at ICEA Basic Teacher Training and Postnatal Educator Workshops for many years. Cheryl lives in Verdigris, Oklahoma with husband Bob. They have two children and two grandchildren. Cheryl is passionate about Sooner Sports, the Chicago Cubs, Oklahoma City Thunder, breastfeeding families, and doing the happy breast milk dance. And last but not least, Cheryl is the secretary of the Coalition of Oklahoma Breastfeeding Advocates, which is how I got to know Cheryl and her advocacy efforts. I know as you listen in today, you will hear her passion, love, and support for families as they embark upon a new journey of breastfeeding. Thank you. It's, it's such a pleasure to be here. I'm so very excited to, um, to talk about my passion, which is breastfeeding. Um, I have spent many, many years in nursing, and in all of those years, I have been involved with maternal child health, and I can't say always as a breastfeeding supporter, um, as my breastfeeding support has kind of gone the, the avenue of how breastfeeding has gone in this nation, with the lowest in the 1960s, and then gradually building in the 70s, which is when I first came into nursing, Um, but it still wasn't very highly supported. It was kind of there, but not definitely not to the level of support that we are thankfully in now and and growing. Um, So in my years um, as a community health nurse with Indian Health Services uh, and also in education, um, in hospital education, in a variety of areas, um, maternal child health management, working with moms um, in the hospital. The last 10 years I spent um, specifically just in lactation. And it is, it is definitely a passion uh, for me to support moms um, and, and actually was specifically NICU lactation for the last 10 years. So I, I noticed when I was looking at Facebook yesterday, it kind of hit me that so many of my, and I don't have a huge Facebook group of friends, but so many of them are, are former patients and, and being, staying connected with these moms and staying connected with their children as they've grown and even with subsequent children, which is another issue of concern for NICU moms because there is a, a lack of trust in your body 
uh, and what your body is able to do and being able to support those moms again through another uh, another baby has been very exciting and it's kind of makes my my heart smile that I'm able to stay connected with these moms. That's that's where I've been. I retired from active lactation work about uh, two years ago. And since that time, I've been very involved with COBA and on their board of directors. And that's the Coalition for Oklahoma Breastfeeding Advocates um, on the board of directors. So it has allowed me to really stay very active in the lactation and supporting uh, moms throughout, throughout the state of Oklahoma. Uh, COBA is a community organization, actually a statewide coalition of folks. It can be professionals, moms, uh, peer counselors, a number of folks across the state who are supporting and actively work with um, breastfeeding moms. So we have, uh, we support, our, our mission is to promote, protect, and support breastfeeding in the state of Oklahoma. And we have a vision where all children in Oklahoma will have access to human milk. So we are active legislatively, um, have helped with past several bills, including one recently that allows for teachers uh, and school employees to uh, time to pump milk for their babies and or breastfeed if the baby is available for their children. That was our most recent legislative action. We're working on other things with legislators. We have a scholarship program targeted to areas, underserved areas. So if there is someone who is interested in becoming a lactation consultant or breastfeeding supporter in those areas uh, needs additional funding for their, to extend their education um, because it's not cheap to become a lactation consultant. Uh, and also for the exam. So we have scholarships for education as well as for the exam fee to become a lactation consultant. So we can increase the number of uh, supportive networks across the state. So we've just got a lot of different things that we are growing. We are a growing organization and very excited about uh, what we can do in the future. We have several partners that we work with, including the Oklahoma State Health Department, um, the Oklahoma Breastfeeding Resource Center, WIC, so uh, the, some of the tribal programs, just a wide variety of networks that we, we work with and connect with. So it's been very exciting and we, we see nothing but a bright future and a breastfeeding future for Oklahoma. I love that. That's a, a great intro for COBA and, um, and all that they do for the state of Oklahoma as far as for breastfeeding and the support and the legislative action. I mean, that, that alone, just being, just being active in knowing how to advocate and in legislative procedures and stuff like that. So that's huge. I would really like to take this conversation into kind of that special health care um, experience so that NICU mom, that mom who delivers a baby that um, has a lot of needs that maybe they've grown up knowing that the one thing they want to do is breastfeed and it's very important to them. But I really would like for us to kind of first talk about how do we just generally, how do we prepare a mom to breastfeed her baby who doesn't even know that there's going to be any special health care need? How would you prepare a mom to uh, her body? Are there things that she needs to do? Uh, kind of walk us through that. Helping a mom get ready to breastfeed is a lot of it is, you know, not saying, well, I'm going to try really giving them the confidence. I think confidence is the biggest piece of that. We have, for some reason, we've gotten away from trusting our bodies and that our bodies 
are able to do this. This is what our bodies are designed to do. They're designed to produce milk for our babies. Getting that trust going. Um, what are the changes, you know, making, pe pe making sure people have recognized the, um, the changes that take place in their body during pregnancy, the breast feeling more tender, feeling that enlargement of the breast during pregnancy. That's all the work that your body is doing uh, to prepare the, those breasts to make milk. Knowing what to expect when they come into the hospital. Also getting that information ahead of time. Let me, I, I guess I better go backwards before we get to the hospital. Uh, in that prenatal area, getting as much information and really getting their support network set up. Um, attending a class if they can. Um, getting information online, getting their questions answered. We've had a lot of people say they can't breastfeed for reasons they really can. I had mom tell me she couldn't breastfeed because she likes spicy foods. Um, no, there's certainly no reason, you know, the babies, if you've been eating spicy foods while you're pregnant, guess what? That baby's already tasted them, is probably going to love them afterwards. So all of these old uh, things that that have taken place over the years that we're really throwing out the window. There are very few reasons why a mom cannot breastfeed. Um, we've had moms say, well, I can't breastfeed because I'm diabetic. Absolutely, those moms should absolutely breastfeed. It's going to be beneficial to them in controlling their diabetes and is also going to be protective for their baby. Um, or other medication, other diseases and medications. Uh, if there's a medication that a mom is taking, and, and specifically, some moms will have a medication that they can't take while they're pregnant, so they think also they can't breastfeed. And that's not necessarily true either. The majority of medications are okay, but we have resources that can, they need to just get a hold of a lactation consultant, because there are resources that can let you know what medications are. It's very few that are absolutely contraindicated during breastfeeding. And because... When you're pregnant, all of those medications, everything that you take has a direct line to baby through the placenta. Um, after baby is born, really say you take an antibiotic, for instance, one of the safest groups of drugs for a breastfeeding mom to take. Once you take that into your body, it is broken down in your stomach before it gets into your bloodstream where it's broken down again continually before it can get into the breast in the breast milk, it's still being broken down before it can get into baby, taking it in through the breast milk, where again, it goes into baby's stomach, broken down some more before it can possibly get into bloodstream. So it's broken down like five different times before it can even affect the baby. So most drugs we know are, are safe. So kind of despite, I know it's a long way of getting around to dispelling a lot of the myths of reasons why people think they can't breastfeed. I can't breastfeed because my mom couldn't and my sister couldn't. That doesn't hold true either. So there's a lot of myths out there. Getting those answered, getting the information ahead of time goes a long way towards helping people be confident then that they can feed their babies. Talking with a lactation consultant is probably the best thing to do if there's a lactation professional available. And now we've got you know, the, even the hotline, you could even use the Oklahoma breastfeeding hotline, uh, which is a 24 seven answered service to get those questions answered. If you have any beforehand, you know, getting that information then prenatally, 
having, you know, gathering all of your resources, coming into the hospital, keeping that baby with you, keeping the baby in your room, having everything done in the room, which is what happens in a baby-friendly designated facility. Uh, most every procedure should be done in the room, baby exams by the nurse, by the physicians, um, the weights, the uh, hearing screens, many of these tests can be done in, in the room. So keeping the baby with you, so you start to learn each other. You learn each other's noises and sounds and when baby's ready to feed. Um, skin to skin holding, keep skin to skin holding. There's nothing but good that comes from that. <laughs> learning each other, keeping baby warm, baby being close to the breast, letting them snuggle over there. That not only helps baby, but it also helps your milk supply because making breast milk is a whole sensory process. So seeing the baby, smelling the baby, feeling the baby, uh, hearing the baby, all of those things can impact your milk supply in, in a very positive way. So keeping the baby with you skin to skin are the biggest things probably that I would say in the hospital, make sure that that takes place. And then feeding baby frequently, not worrying about time. We try to forget the time piece of it. Um, you know, this should not be in, uh, in every so many hours. What we tell moms is we, we expect baby to, eight, well, our, our whole mantra was eight or more in 24. There should be eight or more feeds in 24 hours. Are they going to be on a regular basis? No, they're not. We don't necessarily eat on a regular basis. We want a snack, we go get one. We want a meal, we go, well, that may be on more schedule depending on uh, our life. But, you know, a lot of times we, we forget that, that, that baby nursing, baby needs to nurse frequently. And in nursing frequently, they're helping build your milk supply, but they're getting some comfort. They're getting... Um, a snack, maybe they may only nurse for a few minutes. I just want a little snack, mom. That's okay. I just, I just need a little snack or I just need a little bit of comfort or I need a big meal. So they will nurse more frequently. So there's no set time. There's no set amount of time that they're going to feed depending on, again, what they want a snack or they want that huge meal. They want the whole pizza. Or they just want one piece. So, uh, <laughs> so we've got to look at the fact that, and then babies particularly in the first few days, cluster feed. And by cluster feed, what I mean is they will feed maybe every hour for three or four hours and they'll just feed and feed and feed and feed and feed and then they'll pass out for another three or four hours. Um, so cluster feeding and what's very frustrating to new moms, unfortunately, is one, they think, oh, baby must not be getting anything to eat because they're wanting to feed frequently. That's not necessarily true. They just need to cluster feed these first few days and it often happens at night. So again, moms are tired. They're exhausted from birth. This baby wants to feed all the time. And it always happens at night. And always what's frustrating in the hospital for us is, well, I know the visitor issue isn't, isn't happening now. Um, but previously, and then even once you go home with visitors, everybody's there during the day. They want you to be awake. They want to hold the baby. They want to do everything. And then they, you know, they're going to go home and sleep at night. Unfortunately, mom's not. So mom needs to just hunker down and sleep when baby can and when baby's sleeping and knowing full well that these little brains aren't developed enough to stay to, to sleep all night. And so, uh, they're, you know, just kind of roll with the baby's schedule and, and know that 
that uh, this cluster feeding is going to occur and that babies definitely are night owls. They're going to be awake more at night. So knowledge holds a, a huge piece of that because many times our expectations are very different from what reality is. That's a great important tool to have is those that knowledge piece because we do have all those expectations mm -hmm. that, okay, you know, we've been told they're going to eat every three to four hours or every two to four hours, you know, and so we try to put them on that schedule initially. Would you say breastfeeding is, um, you said to trust our bodies and to um, trust the process, I guess. Is breastfeeding easy? Is it an easy thing? Is it something that is learned? Is it natural? What would you say? I would say it's a learned task. It's like uh, getting on that bike for the first time or getting up and walking. We all, we can't usually, most of us don't remember that piece of it too much in our life, but we may remember riding that bike and how you get on. And it's, it is new. It's new for you and it's new for the baby. And you have to get to know each other and learn each other's habits and get comfortable with the position. So we'd ride for a little bit, we fall. We ride a little bit, fall. We, the more practice, and that's why I tell everybody, the more you practice, the sooner you get the hang of it. So bringing that baby to breast when you think they're showing hunger cues, but well, maybe they really weren't. Well, that was not a failure. That wasn't you. Oh, I missed a cue or I, I, I didn't get it right. You're practicing. You're practicing positioning. You're practicing getting comfortable with the baby. Um, so it, it is, it's a practice makes perfect. And it is a learned process because this is new for you. This is new for that baby. Even if it's not your first baby, it's new with this baby. So it can be a little bit different. There's always that learning curve that goes with each one. Sometimes it's easier than others. It, there's so many things that can factor into that as far as what the baby is, what, what's happened during the birth maybe. Um, is mom more sleepy? How's mom feeling? How's baby feeling? Um, you know, they're the, they've all got different personalities. So usually most of this can be worked through, but yeah, it, it, for some babies, it just is much more of an effort than it is with others. And you just can't pick, but it, it's not in most cases, I will say the great majority of cases, you can get past it with some good, uh, lactation help. Probably that, that support too, maybe from the partner or, you know, the dad, do you see a lot of that as um, maybe what, how a mom might react or how a mom might absorb and uh, engage in the breastfeeding process. So is a partner important in that role? Oh, tremendously important. We know in terms of breastfeeding success uh, with mom, the biggest avenue to her success is, is baby. And then the second is that partner. Um, that partner makes a huge difference. Um, they can assist with Hey, positioning. They can provide physical assistance with positioning and with latch. They can really get involved with helping with that, with the, the physical steps of what's happening. Um, keeping mom going because regardless of whether it's going well or not, we all go through, this ain't working. We all do that. Um, it can be going perfectly. You're still going to say, oh my gosh, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, it, it just doesn't matter. So everybody feels that way. They can troubleshoot that. There's also always those folks out there that are going to say, oh, are you sure you're doing this right? Is it sure that you want, this is what you want to do? Um, that sow those seeds of doubt. And when you are exhausted, you sometimes just don't know how to respond. So they can 
they can troubleshoot, they can, for those, and take, you know, kind of step in and, and be that supportive person um, with those folks as well. So they are, the partners, um, fa extended family can really make or break a breastfeeding experience. That's good information for those partners out there I, that, that they can. Oh, I love it. I love involving them. Um, I think we've gone a long way from, and unfortunately, I still see it once in a while where, you know, you go in to help somebody and you see where the partner is kind of put aside. And we always try to make sure that we addressed it with everything with, with whoever was in the room, whatever family member, whoever was this mom's main support that everybody understood. And I tell you what, and going to your NICU moms, um, there are many times where I went in to help a mom, knew she really wanted to pump, wanted to get started pumping right away. She was in and out of the zone, <laughs> was maybe with us half or maybe a short part of the time. I'll never forget this one dad. So he said, she really wants to do this. Let's go over it. He learned everything. He made sure he understood every piece of what we were doing. He was an all-star and he knew everything about that pump. He knew how to clean it. He knew he, he was, he had it all down in the pumping. And she says, I'm just here. He does all the work. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, once she was alert, I says, well, he was on it. He made sure that he knew exactly what was going on and how the pump was working. And he made sure she pumped religiously, even though she was in and out of consciousness for probably that first at least 12 hours, if not a little bit longer. She had a little rough time. Um, so, and, and he was not alone. We've had that happen many, many times over the years and just really love to encourage that support. Okay, I love that. That's a great transition into our NICU piece. Um, so clearly a partner plays a big and a huge role in that mm -hmm. family who is experiencing NICU or has a special health care need diagnosis with their baby. Yes, engaging that partner and helping them because I know that that's a big piece. My husband always cleaned the parts. You know, he he was, mm -hmm. that was kind of his job. He would take it, he would clean it. And, and that was, that was his job. We, let's start with the stress of the NICU. Maybe a, a mom who doesn't have her baby in the room with her. So she, the baby's down the hall or somewhere on a different floor within their NICU. And so she doesn't see those cues. She doesn't have that engagement mm -hmm. piece. And she still really wants to be an active part. And for many moms, we can't do much for our babies while they're in the hospital, while they're in there away from us. Uh, but the one thing I know that we've always talked about is the one thing I could do was provide milk for my baby. And so pumping was something I really wanted to do. I was that mom who was out for probably a good 24 hours after I delivered. So, mm -hmm. so okay. um, I really don't remember much about the education piece. I do. Um, yeah. I do remember, though, that it was something I wanted to do and be able to provide because I had very little control, but I did have mm -hmm. control over that piece. So why don't you talk to us about maybe the stress of the uh, birth experience and what that does to a body as well as not having your baby in the room and how a mom might be able to continue if she wants to be able to pump and provide milk for her baby. Uh, but you're right. The, the stress is, is very, in many cases, just overwhelming sometimes. Um, it's the NICU moms, all of you NICU moms are my heroes um, because you, it, it's just, amazing what the, the types of stress that you deal with and come out with flying colors. I, I, I again, as I said, you, you all are my, uh, definitely are my heroes uh, and for the work that, that goes into uh, pumping milk. 
you're exactly right. Some moms are prepared ahead of time that they're going to have um, an early birth. The majority are not. This happens all of a sudden. Um, and you, the part of the stress is, A, the physical stress of probably having a difficult birth, an unplanned birth, um, maybe sick because that's the reason you delivered early in the first place. So there are so many things going on there um, with mom's body that can, that can affect how things get started here. Then, then baby, one big thing, you're separated. You may get to see the baby right after birth. You may not. Uh, I know we always tried to bring mom by the NICU to see the baby, uh, hold the baby if possible, depending on what the condition of both mom and the baby were, but definitely like, see the baby, get an explanation before they went to their room two floors away. But that doesn't always happen. I know it was very frightening for some moms where their first glimpse of their baby was a photograph on the cell phone. Um, some moms like, well, he doesn't look that small. Well, it's kind of hard to tell on a cell phone. <laughs> and then when they see the baby, they're very surprised. But then others were, and I heard this more than once, is just upset that why am I seeing my baby on the cell phone for the first time? So that is, you know, it's just heartbreaking. Um, that yes, we we're seeing a, a cell phone picture of your baby and that's your first glimpse of your child. Uh, so there's the physical stress, there's the emotional stress of all that's gone on. Is this the way it is? Uh, is, this, is this how birth goes, particularly if it's been a first baby? Uh, very stressful for those families. Uh, then we've got a baby that parents sometimes feel that I have failed in my very gut of the, the, the utmost, the prime um, task of being a parent is protecting your child. And here I've, I've failed at that. And that may not be an outward expression, but that's very often the feeling that I have failed at that. And then, yes, no, I can't do anything for my baby who's down there in the NICU. But yes, as you've said, I, I think if I've heard it once, I've heard it a thousand times. The one thing I can do is provide milk for my baby. Um, the milk is medicine. And this, for those that were a little, always a little hesitant about it, I'd say, you know, you're, your milk is something that only you can provide for your baby. It is specific for your child and it is medicine for that baby. Um, it's not only medicine, it's so special. Then the hard part is, of course, you're separated. And I did talk about all of those avenues that it is a whole sensory experience and you hit on that as well. Okay, well, you, you've got the pictures. If, if all else fails, we have the pictures of the baby that we can look at if we're trying to go ahead and get pumping started. Um, something that smells like the baby. I would have uh, a partner bring or somebody bring up a blanket maybe the blanket that smells, gives you that baby smell and that feel. Um, those kinds of things can be very helpful in getting pumping started. It's going to be a slow process and that's the next frustrating part about it is because moms, um, maybe particularly if she's stressed, she's tired, she's not feeling well, want to go ahead and get started pumping because we know the sooner the better, even though it's still a very much a hormone-driven process to begin with, getting that started gets milk going faster, uh, milk coming in faster. So we uh, start with that pumping and we may not get anything. 
And right off the bat, people feel like, oh my gosh, this isn't going to work. I said, no, we got to give it time. We are, your body is making even very, very small amounts because, and this is what I always go to, a baby's stomach capacity in the first day of life, and this is even a full-term baby, is about five milliliters or one teaspoon. So why would your body make many ounces of milk if one teaspoon is going to fill their belly in the first days? It's not. So if we get milk, it's going to be small amounts. We have swabbed colostrum, that first milk, off of the end of mom's nipples so that we have something to take down to that baby in the NICU. And we do colostrum care in the NICU, which is amazing in and of itself, because particularly when you see these little bitty guys <laughs> colostrum, which it only takes, uh, basically it's about 0.2 milliliters. So like a couple of drops of colostrum will fill a swab. So if we can get a few drops on a, on a, like a Q-tip, a, a sterile Q-tip, you put that in the baby's mouth and it's absorbed. We, what we do is we just kind of swab the baby's mouth with it and they absorb some of the nutrients from that colostrum. Well, the other fun part about that is when you put that in that baby's mouth, sometimes they'll see them kind of gag a little bit initially, like, what are you putting in my mouth? And then they get the taste. And I've had little 25 weekers just like try and pull that swab out of my mouth. They're sucking so hard on that swab because they taste mom and they taste that colostrum. Um, many times we, if we can, we'd have mom do the colostrum care uh, because then that kind of gives them also not only are you providing something for your baby, but you're getting to do it and do the, you know, swab that mouth. And it's a, now be careful because that baby's, once I get that taste, they're going to pull that thing right out of your hand. And they're always so surprised when they feel that strong pull from that little bitty baby, but they have a suck at that, even that 25, 25 weeks. And they will, will you'll really feel it. It's, it's, it's one of those heartwarming moments when they do that. So getting that colostrum, just those drops, celebrating those drops. And that's what we do the happy dance for anything we get. We get a few drops, we save them. Absolutely, we save those. And the expectation, you know, again, people thinking I'm going to get all this milk. Some folks will get a good amount of milk for the first couple of pumpings, and then it will drop off. Others will just get drops for the first few days. And that's all we expect, really, the day of birth and for the next couple of days, really drops each pumping is, is about what we would expect. So if they get a lot initially and then it drops off, that's pretty normal. So just emphasizing with, with folks that that normal progression is that there's going to be a small amount initially, then we're going to build from there. And then it should kind of gradually increase each day. So, you know, that's just, it, it is a process. And that's where we definitely as lactation consultants become the cheerleaders and providing that, that reality check that no, you're not going to get two to three ounces at day two. It's going to probably be closer to day four or five before you're even getting close to that amount. So it may just be an ounce. It may just be uh, two ounces each pumping. And that it's not going to be the same each time you pump. That's the other thing that's right. Well, I got um, 
10 milliliters is pumping, I'm going to get it every time I pump. No, that's not going to happen. It, it's going to go up and down during the day. The milk supply, whether you're breastfeeding or pumping or whatever you're doing, is going to go up and down during the day, and that's normal. So letting people know that small amounts going to build, not going to be the same each time. The important thing is the breast stimulation in those first couple of days, whether it be hand expression, using a manual pump, using the electric pump, getting that stimulation going at minimum, again, of eight times a day, those first few days. And many times a mom who is pumping with her NICU baby is, it feels like she's attached to a wall or, you know, she's got to work around this schedule. And so I'm wondering if you maybe could speak to how often we need to do that. And because you mentioned to, to initially, if we had our baby in our room, we would follow the cues of the baby. So now we are on this routine, this schedule, this, whatever it is. Yes. What we try to encourage moms to do with the NICU, a NICU moms is to pump eight or eight times a day. Uh, And I generally, generally we go 15-ish minutes and we'll try to do both breasts at the same time if we can. Um, There's a variety of routines that people can use. There's a variety of pumps. We know that incorporating hand expression with the electric pump, moms get more milk, higher fat milk over time. Um, What we found incredibly the last couple of years is that even that little manual pump I would have moms get absolutely nothing with the electric pump. And we'd try, I said, well, let's just try this manual pump because in every, in our minds, isn't it? Electric's always better. The more technology is involved, it's gotta be better. And not necessarily so. They will, you know, combine hand expression with that, but with that little manual pump, particularly we were using the Medela manual pump and moms would get nothing with the electric pump and we'd get half an ounce or so with the, with the manual pump. So usually in the long run, particularly moms who are pumping over weeks, months, uh, will need to transition to a good electric pump to keep up their milk supply. But initially it may just be hand expression for a few days. Hand expression combined with a manual pump. Hand expression combined with a manual pump and the electric pump. You find what works for you. And that's what I always encourage mom to do. This is These are the things that we have available Let's try them all. Let's find what works for you and then get into that routine right now of pumping eight times in 24 hours. And these are the folks that we will kind of schedule out, you know, every three hours, every two hours, just because as much as we can, I mean, it just is is difficult. And then even once you go home, reality sets in, Life, life sets in. So there's life events that you're trying to work around. And that's where you, oftentimes if mom's milk supply starts going down, we'll look at, okay, where can we fit an extra pumping in? I know you're coming to the hospital here. So how about as soon as you get here, we pump. You're here, pump again before you leave. You can use our stuff. We set moms up. Okay, I know it's going to be a few hours before you get home. You've got to pick up your other kids. Um, Okay, then you've got your, we got food, dinner, you know, where can we throw in, hey, maybe about five minutes with hand pump in here somewhere. Okay, so kind of working with folks to really play with that schedule and not feel that it has to be so rigid because it doesn't have to be real rigid. It can move around and adjust to your life schedule. Uh, I will say I have never met a NICU mom who said they liked pumping. 
never. And finally, and it was one of those things that didn't really hit me until a mom said, I absolutely hate that machine. And I, it was like a, a dumb mom. I thought, of course, I love what it's doing. I love the milk I get and I love what, how it's helping my baby, but I hate that machine. So from that point on, I would just honestly say, hey, I know nobody likes pumping. And, and it, it was just, it was just such, you could just see the relief on mom's faces when they understood that, hey, the lactation consultant is saying, I don't have to like what I'm doing. <laughs> So, and you don't, nobody likes it, but we do. And, and we so appreciate what it does for your baby and how it helps that baby. Um, but it, you know, know that it really is tough. Um, throwing in as soon as they can doing skin to skin down in the NICU, that helps tremendously as well. So, um, and I learned a lot about pumping just from the moms, what types of pumps seem to work for them, giving ideas. They learn a lot from each other. As you probably remember, you, you, you talk about, okay, this works for me. Hey, why don't you try this? So, you know, I had moms, uh, one mom brought in lactation cookies for everybody. <laughs> she made some, brought in for everybody in our pod. Uh, in fact, this nurse has got to try, we got to try one too. <laughs> but different pumps, um, different, one mom found uh, cheap sports bras that at uh, Walmart. So she bought a bunch for everybody that was pumping at the time so we could cut slits in them and make hands-free bras just with the, with the sports bras. So that support goes a long way. Skin to skin is tremendous um, in terms of helping that milk supply. And some people would tell them, you know, you got to keep this every three hour thing going. No, when you, particularly when you go home, that's not reality. That's not what happens. So Let's kind of find, you know, okay, maybe two hours here. Oh, I might be able to throw a hand pump in here because we've got to be comfortable. We've got to keep the milk moving because the milk moving is how your body makes more. And, and then, of course, we want to keep moms comfortable too. So, because if they get really engorged, that actually can decrease the milk supply. So we've got, we want to keep people comfortable, but we also have got to work around life. Right. I love that. Thank, thank you for saying that because you're right. Life being attached to the, to the machine when we're, when really all we want to do is be with our babies is not right. the, the love that we are always looking for. Right. Uh, but it, that is actually, you talking about engorging and, and all of that, that kind of leads me to my next question. Um, does a pump or a, a hand expression, does that empty the breast like a baby would um, if they were breastfeeding? No, the pump never is e as efficient as baby. Uh, so we know that the pump generally removes about 70 to 80% of the milk at best. This is a really good pump and that that's a critical piece of it too. But baby's going to remove 90 or more, 90% or more of the, of the milk in the breast. So um, a good pump's probably closer to 70%. So it does not move the milk nearly as well. And getting a good pump is critical for, for these moms. Um, as I said initially, of course, you got, always got the hand pump, the, the manual or the, 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 the hands available and combining that with the electric pump, we know, as I said before, does make a diff huge difference in terms of not only the amount of milk moms are able to get, but also they found a higher fat content to the milk that moms expressed. Um, the manual pump, I've had many moms say, oh, well, uh, no, so-and-so bought me a, a, bought a pump for me, or I bought this one at, you know, Walmart. And there, there's a lot of pumps out there 
particularly ones that you buy in the store uh, that are designed more for uh, occasional use. They're not necessarily designed to pump eight times in 24 hours for three months. Uh, they, they just don't have the suction capability of doing that. Rather than tell somebody, oh no, that's a bad pump. What I will, there are a couple that I will actually say that about, but for the most part, what I'll generally say is go ahead and give that a try. But if it's not moving the milk and you still feel full after you've pumped, or it seems after a while that it that all of a sudden you, you were getting some milk, but now you're not getting anything, don't blame yourself. These pumps aren't intended for long-term frequent use. It's probably the pump. And then let's see what we can do about getting a good pump for you. There's so many options now for getting a good pump in terms of insurance providing really good quality pumps. Um, there's still some pump rental out there that's available. You can work with the NICU staff to see what they have available in terms of getting a good pump. Uh, so there's there's a lot of good options. A WIC has excellent pumps available uh, for moms with babies in the NICU. So there's, there's really good options out there for moms. We, we should be able to get a good, any NICU mom, a, a good, good pump, a good uh, hospital grade quality pump to use while her baby's in the hospital. So, and that, that's just important to have, uh, saves everybody, saves mom's time. You know, I, I mentioned before the hand pump working so well. I had several moms that the hand pump worked, that, that the old manual pump from Medela worked so well that they didn't want to go to an electric. So finally, after about two weeks, I'm going, you know, look, I know this really works well for you, but you're not going to be able to keep up your milk supply with this pump. We do, we build our base milk supply in the first two weeks. So again, initially it's hormone driven for the first oh, three-ish days. So the hormones of birth drive that initial milk production for those few days. During that time, the number of times that we move the milk by pumping, hand expressing, whatever we're doing helps as well. It helps, but it's still not the prime mover for the milk. After that three or four day period, it is completely dependent on moving the milk. So we've got to keep that good milk removal going. So after those first, particularly like say about day four on, really has to have good milk removal. And the manual pump may work really well for, like I said, the longest I've really seen is the first couple of weeks and I'm really pushing them. You, you've got to get a good quality hospital grade pump to keep that milk moving, to keep that supply up uh, from that point on. When you don't empty your, your breast all the time or on a frequent basis or at all, um, how sometimes moms get really frustrated at that maybe two, three, four week mark. And they're like, well, I'm not producing anymore. I mean, like, it's just my, my quality or quantity is, is really low at this point. So, um, but that explains why it might be is because the pumps just aren't emptying and they've kind of just kind of leveled out. We've seen that many times where a mom who's not moving milk really well because, oh, I've got so much right now. I don't have to pump very often. And they hit that two week mark. And all of a sudden, boom, the milk drops out. And I don't, we saw it over and over and over again. So I said, I know you're making a lot of milk right now. Keep it moving because we've got to get past this two-week mark. 
we've got that milk supply established. We've got to keep it going, but we've got, you really have to pump. I always we got pumped like a crazy woman for the first two weeks. At least we get that base milk supply established. Then we can start spacing it out because everybody's got different storage capacity. Some moms can, and it has nothing to do with, with the breast size. It has number, it has to do with the number of milk, the milk making glands within those breasts. So um, a mom with very large breasts may have a small uh, storage capacity. A mom with, so it, it, that it varies for each and every person. So a mom who has a small storage capacity may need to continue pumping eight, if not 10 times a day to keep a good milk supply up. Um, those are the babies that may nurse more frequently. If, if you're looking at a full-term baby who's breastfeeding, those babies may be nursing more frequently. They're, both babies would be taking the same amount of milk in but mom's got a smaller storage capacity, so baby's going to take more frequent feeds. A mom with a large uh, capacity, storage capacity, may be able to get by with um, maybe six pumpings a day, maybe four pumpings a day. That's pretty low, but you know, at least uh, generally our minimums are usually about six. What we unfortunately found that particularly once these moms got their milk supply established, even when they tried to drop back on the pumping because they had such a good storage capacity and such a large milk supply, they couldn't because they were too uncomfortable if they tried to cut it back. So we had lots of milk. But yeah, no, that storage capacity makes a huge difference. That's why you, I always would tell you, you cannot compare yourself to the mom in the next pod or the mom over there. Even though she's great support, she's giving you great ideas, and it still doesn't seem to be increasing your milk supply to what she's getting everybody's got their own storage capacity and and honestly their own life events and things that are going on that can certainly affect that as well. Okay so now let's talk and kind of take it a step further. Let's talk about the mom who has pumped, she has worked hard, she has a storage now, she has provided the milk, it's in there. All of a sudden she gets word that her baby's not gaining enough weight fast enough on the system, on the whatever scale they're using to gain that weight. And now they want to supplement in the hospital. Um, what are maybe some ideas that the mom could do? I know, um, and you can explain this further. I think there's a concept about the hind milk um, to add the fat, more fat, I guess, into it. Um, but maybe also the advocacy piece that, you know, I'm a mom. I've worked really hard pumping all of this milk. How, you know, how do mm -hmm. I emphasize that I really want my baby to get my milk. The other piece of that, of course, is there's still a feeling and um, research out there that shows us that these babies probably are going to need uh, some additional nutrients through the preterm formula. And does they don't have, doesn't have to overtake the milk supply. There's so many more options now in terms of supplements that we have. There are human milk fortifiers, uh, human milk-based fortifiers, which are easier on the baby's gut, as opposed to the various fortifiers plus the preemie uh, types of formulas that they want uh, preemies to go home on for a period of time. Hopefully you've got a, a neonatologist that can support some of that. But yes, no, the baby's weight gain, um, hind milk feeding is, the, the hard part about that is that the fat varies from feed to feed over, you almost have to get 
a 24 hour compilation of the milk and go ahead and use the hind milk feeding. It, it is a difficult process at best, um, but hind milk feeding can work because it is a little higher, higher fat. Depends on the time of day. There's just such a variation to that that um, sometimes even like in a NICU base where you've pumped, you can kind of, that milk separates, of course, so we can kind of pull out of the refrigerator and get some of that higher fat milk uh, off of what's what's separated in the bottles that we've got in the refrigerator. So we've got that option too in, in the NICU setting. Um, how are they feeding the baby? You've got, if you've got OG feeds, are they hanging feeds that um, the fat's clinging to the bottle and to the tubing so that the fat's not even getting to the baby? Uh, are they expecting a breastfeed baby to gain weight when we're feeding only every eight, every four hours? They're doing a Q four hour feed. Guess what? A baby, breastfed baby is not going to gain weight on that type of a schedule. A breastfed baby is not going to gain weight when you can only have a certain, certain number of feeds. They, if you're going to allow them to breastfeed, then they need to be breastfeeding whenever they're hungry because that's, that's never going to, I, I shouldn't say never. There are a few times it has happened, but rarely, you know, convincing them. No, a breastfed baby feeds generally 10 to 12 times a day. And now you're restricting them to eight and only for, and unfortunately in some cases, only for 30 minutes. Well, guess what? That baby may not be full at that point of time. It took us 15 minutes to get comfortable and to get latched. <laughs> and so you let her feed for 15 minutes and then you stop the feed and now you won't let this baby feed for another four hours. And that process continues itself. That baby is not, I can guarantee you that baby is not going to gain weight. So we've got to look at the whole process and the fact that breastfed babies are feeding 10 to 12 times a day. So they're not getting all of their calories and all their feed in and it, it every four hours um, or every three hours or whatever schedule is set up by the facility. So yeah, that's, that, that is a huge piece of it is not just looking at breast milk, but how are we getting that milk to the baby in, ter in, in terms of their weight gain? NICU is a very number oriented environment. Yes, it is. And they want to know everything by the numbers. And that is, and so breastfeeding is not by the numbers. Yeah. Breastfeeding is by the feel. Not only is it a NICU issue, but it can, then becomes a trust issue for moms when they try to breastfeed later on. It is an uphill battle working. Okay, they want to bring baby to breast. Keep shaking your head. Yes, you want to bring baby to breast. You want to breastfeed, but all of a sudden now, after being so number oriented for however long baby's been in the NICU, whether it's been days, weeks, or months, you've been so focused on the numbers. The staff's been so focused. You're still focused on the numbers. Well, I know I fed my baby and everything went well. And I'm going, you know, I'm doing my happy dance. It just went perfect. I can hear swallows. This baby's happy or relaxed. I'm showing moms all the signs that this baby has had adequate intake, but I don't know how much he took. I don't know how much she took. You don't have to watch your baby. You can watch your baby now. You don't have to watch the numbers. You can watch your baby. 
and it is a very hard thing to get past, uh, as I'm sure you you know. <laughs> and I love that statement because you're absolutely right. When you when you've had a baby that you know they have to take a certain number of ounces, and then you get home and you're like, okay, well they she just breastfed but I don't know how many ounces she gets. So I'm going to go, you know, it's just, it, 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 it's a, it's a trauma that you carry home. Yes, that, it that is. is. That's a very, and not only do you carry it home, you carry it onto your next baby because that, as I mentioned early on, I have um, supported some of my NICU moms through a second, some occasional third a pregnancy and trying to convince them with that second pregnancy that maybe a full-term healthy baby that, they can breastfeed and they don't have to see the numbers. They, you hold on to that for forever. You really do. And again, y'all are my heroes. You are my heroes, but that is a very hard thing to get past. And I understand it. I understand it completely that it's hard to get past that. Um, but I'm still going to keep pushing. No, watch your baby. Watch your baby. Watch your baby. And then if you can't, that's okay. We do what we have to do, what's comfortable and what works for you. Going back to that initial, we've lost trust in our bodies. We've lost trust in our cues. Mm -hmm. We, you know, we've lost that trust. And so, so that, yeah. that's a very good point. Can you talk about a concept that I know frequently comes up? Um, when you put the baby to breast, the baby burns more calories when they're working to suck and feed versus a baby that is fed by the bottle. I know that that's a conversation that frequently comes up that the baby's going to burn more calories because we have put her to breast and it takes extra work to do that versus a baby that's been bottle fed. Can you kind of talk about that a little bit? I can because it's totally false. It is not evidence-based at all. It is, um, I'm not even sure where it came, came from, um, but there is no evidence to back that up. It is a different process, it is different work, but they actually found that breastfeeding is less stressful than bottle feeding. So that there, there's no truth to those statements. People still say it and we still hear it, but they, I'd like you know, them to find the evidence that that is, that is true. Um, breastfeeding is definitely less stressful. Baby has control of the, and the reason is baby has control of the feed. They can stop when they want. They can rest when they want. They can, you know, just pause, take a breath, relax, okay, and then go on. When they are on a bottle, that milk is coming, whether they're ready or not. And so they are going to have, they have to keep going until somebody either stops the feed or they, they learn to control it with their tongue. They may do some tongue thrusting to push their tongue up against to, to help control the flow, but they don't have the control. The muscle work, that doesn't burn more calories. The research has not proven that to be true. Okay, so let's maybe take it a, a step further, and maybe there is a medical thing, um, and I know this is a conversation I've had with other moms that whether it be um, a heart valve issue that hasn't closed and so the baby's not able to gain that weight and so sometimes they take them off the breast milk so that they can supplement so that they can continue gaining that weight where the mom just desperately wants to bond the mom desperately wants to breastfeed but because of the diagnosis they've taken her off the breast i would in those cases what we generally would encourage mom keep pumping 
most times these aren't long-term that we can eventually work baby, particularly as they get older or changes occur in the health status that we can get baby back to breast. Um, I know I had a coworker who just, her baby had um, some cardiac issues and ended up in Oklahoma City with heart surgery. And she finally had to convince them to let her to let, let her breastfeed the baby. They just figured he couldn't do it and she couldn't do it. And of course he thrived tremendously and they were so surprised because nobody does this. And thought, well, well, why not? You, well, I, I do know why not because obviously there's not a lot of support there to do it, but there are so many variables that I would, we usually will just say, don't stop, don't quit. Keep pumping, keep your milk supply up because things change. And maybe baby is not capable of attach, latching and breastfeeding successfully now because of whatever's going on. But that doesn't mean in two weeks, one month, two months from now that that can't happen, that we can get that baby to breast. Don't stop and do lots and lots of skin-to-skin -skin holding. Those are the two things where I would I would definitely say in those situation. Don't stop moving that milk. Lots of skin-to-skin. -skin. Um, sometimes families in the NICU, moms in particular, are are feeling one defeated already because they have had this natural process of delivering a baby that they have failed at, um, mm -hmm. and now. They feel the pressure of pumping because, you know, that's the one thing they can do is we can pump. So now we've got the pressure of pumping. Sometimes, whether it is perceived or whether it is true, sometimes um, it feels like the lactation consultant or whoever is working with the mom is not that support or, you know, maybe feels the pressure of, well, you're not producing enough. You need to, you know, you need to keep going. You need to produce more. You need to produce more, almost chastising them in their production. And I'm wondering if maybe you can take this from a professional standpoint and how you encourage your families, maybe mm -hmm. offering that piece of support that you are clearly very good at um, to cheer that mom on. So I'm just wondering if you maybe could address a little bit of that. Yeah, um, the support that moms receive in the NICU is, is so important. Um, the support to me should come from the care providers who are saying, you're doing really good, mom. You're doing the best for your baby. Thank you for anything that you bring in. Um, that's why I always liked when moms would bring milk in too. I want to make sure, I don't, I don't like it when uh, nurses will say, well, we've got enough milk, keep it, leave it at home. Because I want the mom to bring in those bottles and hold up that bag of, of milk and have us just do, oh my gosh, it's so fantastic to really cheer her on and say, that is fantastic. Look at all the milk you've got. You've got your own freezer. Oh, you've got your own bin here and keeping track of the milk and just, just giving mom support and kudos for every single bit that they bring in. And then when there's not much coming in, when they're up, you know, worried and or something's going on, mom's been sick or she's been really stressed and the milk supply went way down and maybe she's only bringing in um, half an ounce where she was bringing in full bottles before. Well, I certainly was it, you know what? We're going to do the happy dance for every single drop that you bring in. 
my happy dance isn't pretty. They and I get lots of laughs, <laughs> but I would still do it. <laughs> we will do the happy dance for every single drop that you bring in, because every single drop that you bring in is a drop that's going to help your baby. And if it's if it's just a few drops, that's okay. We're gonna still give that to your baby. It's going to be beneficial for the baby. And we'll work on maybe, let's see what else we can do to help build the supply. Let's look at the schedule, the schedule that you've got. Let's see, hey, why don't we take another look at your pump and see if there's something going on with the pump? What can we do to help? Um, how can we arrange the schedule that works for you to kind of help? And then we're, we'll do whatever we can because we only have control over so much. And then there's some things that we don't have any control over. So we do what we can control. We have to let what we can't control go. And we do the happy dance for every drop that we get and for however long that lasts. Is that just a perception that sometimes moms put on themselves? you know, because I didn't produce enough. And so now she's coming in and she's identifying that I didn't produce enough. And so now I feel chastised or feel um, like I. It could be, their, if it's their, their perception is reality. Thank Your you. perception is reality. And so if you feel that um, someone's bugging you to bring in more milk, that you need to make more milk, oh, God, it just breaks my heart. It breaks my heart that people would chastise folks for for bringing the amount of milk that you're bringing in. If you're bringing milk, I'm happy whether it's half ounce. If you're doing what you can do, that's all you can do. And maybe even just letting them know that I am doing what I am capable of doing for my baby at this point in time. I love your concept of the happy dance, regardless of of however much is brought in, yes. um, the, the happy dance. No, we've got to be happy about that because I know that, like again, going back to life intervenes and there is so much going on in people's lives. So we can do what we can. And beyond that, we may not be able to get more milk. There might be things out of our control that are affecting that. There may be things that, you know, maybe I can't, I just physically cannot pump more than what I'm getting right here. And we've got to respect that. As professionals, we have to respect that. What, yes, would we like a full freezer for everybody? Yes. Are we going to get that? No, we're not. We have to respect what that mom is, is going through in life, which is an absolute incredible, difficult experience. There's stress on all levels, both at home and in the hospital. So we've got to respect where she's at, what she's able to bring in to, the, to us and honor that and not belittle her for what she's not able to do. Thank you for giving permission to the mom to say, I'm, I'm doing what I can, you know, and I yes. think that that's important for a mom to be able to say, I, I am doing what I can and to be able just to keep going and doing and keep doing that, whatever she can. Uh, so speaking of those ideas of making that additional production and helping a mom who's under stress and all of this, I know sometimes we're always looking for that magic pill that's going to just increase our supply. So why don't you share maybe some ideas? I, you know, we, we in the NICU, a lot of our NICU moms will come together and we're like, let's have an ice cream party because that's going to help our breast milk. Production. And, <laughs> and whether that's true or not, it makes us feel better. <laughs> so, so let's hear some of your ideas. <laughs> Gosh, of course, you know what I always say, well, well, try not to stress. I'm going, yeah, you've got a baby in the NICU. Try not to stress. 
<laughs> get too stressed. And that does play a role in that milk production, obviously. So I say, hey, I know you're going to be stressed. Try to decrease as much of the external stress. Again, the, what are some of the things that you can get rid of? Um, some of the things that somebody else can do so that, you know, you can kind of help, you can take care of yourself. So taking care of yourself as much as possible. And as women, we think we've got to take care of everybody else anyway, right? So taking, try to take as much of that stress off and, and just do self-care um, can be incredibly helpful. Um, skin to skin. I know I've said it several times already, as much skin to skin holding as you possibly can do. And then pump right afterwards because that skin to skin holding, the prolactin levels, those hormone levels really go up when you're skin to skin holding. So rather than skin to skin holding, get dressed, go back to your, go to the house, go to room, wherever you're staying and then pump, pump right there, pump right there at the baby's bedside. Uh, sometimes it's difficult in different situations because you don't feel like you've got the privacy you need. As much as you can pump at the baby's bedside, that always is very helpful. Um, staying hydrated, eating. You don't have to drink anything specific. You don't have to eat anything special. Just eat and drink. Now, other things that I know people have had good luck with, uh, electrolyte drinks for some reason. I've had staff members and patients both tell me that you know, having the electrolyte drinks, and most of them have used the Gatorade, you know, drinking a couple of those small bottles of Gatorade a day um, helped. I don't know that there's any evidence behind that. Um, I'm just going with what I've had patients and, and staff members that were pumping after they returned to work tell me that they found some benefit to that. Is it part of the hydration piece? I don't know. Um, could be keeping the pumping up. If you have issues with your pump, get with a lactation consultant, get with somebody to double check the pump maybe, because um, I have had pumps fail after a period of time. And so we've had to get pumps replaced because sometimes it was a pump issue. Um, you know, finding sometimes we, when we're sick, you'll see, uh, particularly with illness, you may see the milk supply drop a little bit. So picking up a couple of extra pumpings, right after an illness, or if you see a drop in the milk supply, um, it is a still, still a demand supply process. So we need the demand for the supply to be there. And generally, if there's a little bit of a drop, it's not gonna happen immediately. It's generally 24, 48 hours, you should see that pick up again. So it, it usually takes at least 24 hours if you say throw in a couple of more pumpings because the milk supply went down a little bit because you were sick it's definitely gonna take probably a minimum of 24 hours before you'll see that supply bump up again. Uh, so it won't happen immediately. Um, so pumping is the best thing. Um, people have tried various supplements. Uh, if you don't see an increase within again, a few days, it probably isn't working. Um, so there, you know, there's, there's not a lot of research backing those. There's a lot of anecdotal, you know, some people say work, some people say they don't. Um, I, I don't know. I, I always have, you know, I'll tell people when they get them, I'll say, well, you can try it. We don't have a lot of research that shows us that they really do work. Best thing is keeping that, you, 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 you know, we want the magic pill, but the magic pill doesn't exist. What does exist, we know, is the demand supply, which really regulates the milk production. 
some people start different medications, particularly uh, birth control medications that can affect the milk supply. As far as our evidence goes, if you're the further out you are before you start something like the mini pill, which is a progesterone only uh, contraceptive um, or an IUD that is a progesterone only contraceptive, there should not be an effect on the milk supply. However, <laughs> we're all individuals. And I did have one mom who, she had a fabulous milk supply, had been pumping for a minimum of a month. We had everything going and she tried both progestin, um, oral, uh, both the oral contraceptive and IUD, both dropped her milk supply. So she stopped the orals first, went ahead and removed the IUD and her milk supply built back up. So at that point in time, it sh you just never know. Everybody is different. It should not have affected her milk that way. It did. We were able to reverse it. Uh, sometimes you can, sometimes you can't. Going back to your body and, mm -hmm. you know, trusting and acknowledging and kind of knowing, knowing what your body reacts to. So mm -hmm. pumping is not supposed to hurt. Is that right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I know that that's a conversation I have too with families is it hurts. It hurts. So talk to me a little bit about uh, the concepts behind it not hurting and, and how this is, I mean, we don't love our pump, but it's not supposed to hurt. Oh, thank you for bringing that up. No, pumping should not hurt. If it hurts, there's something we need to fix or something wrong. Um, the most common problem with pumping is we figure if we turn it all the way up, we're going to get more milk. No, we're just going to create sore nipples. And if it hurts, guess what? You're already decreasing your milk supply because your, your, your body is not going to release the milk if you are in pain. Um, so no, uh, we don't need to turn it up. You want to, and that the two major causes, turning it all the way up and having an inadequate flange size. So the flange size and sometimes people do need to change the flange size during the time that they're pumping. So you may start out with a 24 millimeter flange and need to go up to a 27 or vice versa, you know, go change it out uh, during the course of your pumping. So make sure you've got a good flange size. In terms of flange fit, the nipple should fit comfortably in that flange. And as it's being pulled into the tunnel, it should be able to move freely. There shouldn't be any rubbing of the nipple on the flange. You shouldn't see blanching of the skin where the, the skin gets real white as it's being pulled around the edges as it's being pulled into the flange. So an improper flange fit can create pain and from rubbing and against the sides. Um, and also, I mean, I've seen some horrible cracked uh, areolas from, from an uh, inappropriate flange size, as well as from turning it all the way up. We turn it up, we get more milk. No, you want to start. We always try and start moms on a low level and then gradually increase the suction pressure to where you feel a good pull, but it does not hurt. So I, I always tell people, I want you to feel pull, no pain. Simple as that, because if it hurts, it does not get you more milk. It just creates sore, excoriated nipples and then you've really got a problem on your hands at that point in time. So we don't want that at all and it should not hurt. And if it hurts, we've either got to look at particularly those two issues or possibly even changing the pump. Okay, so here I am, I'm a mom in the NICU, 
really didn't get a lot of opportunities to put baby to breast because it's kind mm-hmm. of NICU life. <laughs> it's a NICU, right. Kind of NICU life. I didn't, mm-hmm. there just weren't a lot of opportunities that, um, that were presented for one reason or another. Um, I remember, and I'm just going to share this, I remember the first time that our lactation consultant walked in and she put my baby to breast. And I remember this just emotional, and she was my third that I had put to breast, but I had never had a NICU baby. And so when she went to breast, it was just one of those moments of just, and I don't know why, but I I just had this emotional release and there were tears. <laughs> so there were tears. Oh, there's um, always tears. <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh, yes. There were tears. With and, your lactation consultant too. <laughs> she, she, she was so good. And I went home and I wasn't as successful. You know, I remember I we had had her in the hospital. It, she put I so I knew we could do it. I knew we could do it, which was such a relief to know that it was going to happen. It was going to work. Um, but we went home and I wasn't as successful at home. Um, but I'm wondering where should, or what are some ideas for a mom that feels like she's had this baby for 10 weeks now, whatever, through two months, and she has taken care of this baby. Now they're going home and she's not really experienced in putting the baby to breast. So what are some of your ideas? Yes, that's, that is hard. And we've, I can't tell you the number of times, again, another one of these moments when they say, oh, she's going home tomorrow and rooming in tonight. So uh, go ahead and start breastfeeding. I'm going, I get one try. <laughs> I get one try to help get this baby to breast. So yes, um, it, it, the NICU environment is not real conducive most, many times to really getting breastfeeding established. Again, hopefully we've done lots of skin to skin. Um, we can get at least one or two good breastfeeds in before you walk out the door, may or may not happen. And hopefully there's a good supportive lactation consultant there to help get those, as many of those breastfeeds in. Um, I would definitely advocate for yourself here too, because um, sometimes staff just kind of goes along and they don't bother asking, you know, saying, hey, when can I start breastfeeding? Ask your provider if they're doing rounds and they're there, hey, when can I start breastfeeding? So you keep that in the forefront of their minds that you want to breastfeed and you want to breastfeed this baby as soon as you possibly can. Otherwise, I've run into staff, they're not going to ask, they're not going to present it to you. They're not going to ask you. They're going to wait for you to say something. And if you don't, it's going to be the night before you go home when you're rooming in before they, oh yeah, yeah, lactation, come help her. We're going to feed once before you, no, that's, you know, because there's, there's lots of things that we can do to help that baby latch on. Um, there's some tools that we can use to help them latch initially. Sometimes I will, I, I'm, I'm not a fan of nipple shields, but for babies in the NICU who maybe are still small um, and don't have the intraoral pressure, one of the things, particularly in the NICU, we use the nipple shield for is the fact that babies early on don't have the intraoral pressure to hang on to the breast. They can't, they just physically can't do it. But the nipple shield does help them maintain that grasp of the breast. So for those that need the intraoral pressure that are still small, that can be helpful. For others that have had an awful lot of bottles, that helps them transition to the breast. So 
um, we've got tools that we can use, but I think a professional needs to help you um, get those going. So get as, you know, advocate for yourself and for your baby. Um, get started as soon as you can, may use some tools, but hopefully that lactation consultant can be there with you and support you as you get that started. And yes, do that happy dance with you as that baby latches feels. I've done many happy dance when I'm holding the baby and still latching. <laughs> yes, we got this going um, as much as we possibly can. And then I really advocate for coming back and seeing like we had an outpatient clinic. So we would try to get our moms, unfortunately they didn't always live in an area where they could come back to us. And we would try to you know, really encourage them to get with a lactation professional once you go home, because it is going to be different. Um, the feeds will be different. Keep bringing that baby to breast. Even if it doesn't feel like it's working, keep bringing that baby to breast, keep the milk moving, get with a lactation professional. And then keep trying because, and I think you had somebody said, you know, what, three months later, the baby uh, latched on. I had a patient once who, she had twins and one of these twins would kind of go to breast every once in a while. He wasn't real thrilled about it, but he'd do it. The other one, I mean, we did everything but stand on our head and this child did not want anything to do with breastfeeding. She went home, she still kept bringing them to breast, whether they wanted it or not, she'd try it, she'd try it, she'd try it, six months. And it was the one who refused the breast that went to breast first. <laughs> and she accosted me in Target. <laughs> she happened to see me in Target and ran up to me. And she was, guess what? <laughs> so that's the only reason I knew this had happened was she saw me in Target. And we did, you know, we celebrated in Target because she, she says, I just kept trying and I've got both of them. She's not all the time, but they will come to breast. And she says, the first one to do it was the one that absolutely refused in the NICU. So, you know, we can keep trying professional and getting connected with a good lactation consultant. And it could just be phone consultation sometimes. Sometimes it just doesn't have to be sitting in front of them. You can just do a phone consultation. It does help particularly with getting a good latch and things to, to really be face-to-face -face in a consult with a lactation consultant, but um, doesn't always have to have to be a face-to-face, -face, particularly as we get going and keep, keep these going. But keep it up and you just never know at what point in time that these babies may decide, eh, I can do this. At what point of frustration does a mom need to just take a step back and say, okay, maybe I need to pump today instead of, or at this moment and do the bottle. Kind of walk me through where you have seen in the past a line of, for a mom's frustration when it comes to that latching piece. I mean, there's been, I'm not going to lie there. When we got home, there were days and moments that there was tears because I'm like, why won't you just do this? And so why don't you walk me through when I need to know as a mom, okay, it's okay. It's okay. Right there. Right there is where you set your own limits. You just say, okay, when I get so frustrated that I, I can't function, I can't deal with this baby is so frustrated because if they're real frustrated, they're not going to latch. If they're crying and screaming and carrying on, they're not going to latch. So there's no reason in both of you crying and screaming, step back, skin to skin. Sometimes I'll say, put them skin to skin first. If nobody calms down, grab the bottle, go get, go get look at some alternatives. Um, if you could put them, sometimes you just get them skin to skin and they'll calm down and we can get them to latch. 
But if baby's all wound up, mom's crying, no, there's, there's no reason to put yourself through that. Uh, it's not helping you. It's not helping your child. So, you know, catching them, feeds are sometimes tricky. Uh, babies are tricky in that, you know, we'd like to catch them before they get really, really hungry. That's why I hate looking at the clock because people use the clock. We wait either that or where they're crying. Well, if they're, we use the clock or they're crying for them to feed. Well, they may be beyond hungry at that point in time and there's no latching because they're just so frantic. So getting them early, watching your baby, getting them early on those hunger cues. Yeah, sometimes we guess right, sometimes we guess wrong, who cares? Getting them early on those hunger cues where they just start that mouthing. You, you, you know your babies, you get to know what those hunger cues are and you learn those by watching your child. Working with getting them to breast, if it still becomes a frustrate, frustration for both of you, stop. You know, you find your own line there, but there's no sense in getting to the point where both of you are totally falling apart and frustrated and frantic and crying. No place for that. Tongue ties. That seems to be a topic of conversation that, that it sounds like, I don't know if they get overlooked or kind of what your thoughts are on or how a mom might know or a consultant might be able to help in that. Yes, I... I feel, unfortunately, that sometimes it's been a little bit overdiagnosed. It's become the, oh, if, if something's not right, well, it must be a tongue tie. Um, I'm not sure they're as prevalent as we sometimes have been, and lactation consultants should not be diagnosing that either. <laughs> they should be evaluating and then referring on to a healthcare professional pediatrician uh, to actually diagnose the tongue tie. But the tongue should, um, tongue should, you know, that little piece of, of skin underneath the tongue should not keep that tongue from being raised up. So sometimes you'll be able to see that. Now, there are some babies that you will see a, a, a frenulum and it looks fairly tight, but that, that baby can extend their tongue beyond the gum line. So if that baby can extend that tongue beyond the gum line, they're able to cup the breast, cup the nipple, as they pull that nipple into feed, then, then we don't, it doesn't need to be cut. It just doesn't. So particularly we'll look for pain as an issue. If there's, we got painful latch, everything else seems to be fine, but it still continues to hurt. There could be a tight frenulum there. Um, baby constantly coming off because they can't get a good grasp of the breast. They, they need that tongue to cup, as I said, kind of, kind of cup that that nipple and breast or real and pull that nipple in and with a tongue tie they can't do that so they can't get a good grasp of the breast so you'll get nipple feeding and you'll get sore nipples there too um, so the pain and, and and not being able to really get a good grasp of the breast um, probably are your biggest things and sometimes you'll hear some clicking now I've had babies click and still had a good latch and were able to move the milk well but the big problem there too, and then mom's getting engorged because baby can't move the milk well. Uh, if they can't get a good latch because that tongue is too tight and not allowing them to, because tongue movement is so important with this, can't move the tongue to move the milk, then mom gets engorged. So that is another a piece of that as well. So it's, um, 
it's it's still you know it, it can happen i'm not going to say it doesn't happen i don't know if it happens as much as we as it's been lately gosh it seems like everybody's tongue-tied and i'm not sure everybody is just to see a frenulum doesn't necessarily it's got to be tight too so if it's tight it's a it's affecting the movement of that tongue if it's not tight don't need to do anything about it and then the upper lip too is the other thing and you know with the tight one they can't there's usually some nipple soreness from that but if you can flip that lip up at all we usually don't have to do anything there even even if you can see that piece of skin there so you just have to to look a lactation consultant can certainly evaluate um, the movement of the mouth the movement of the tongue the latch and they should I would probably say that is a first step. Go to a lactation consultant, have them evaluate how the tongue is moving. Is the tongue able to rise? Is it able to cup? Um, what are you feeling? Um, all of, and the, and the mouth. And then if um, there is a question of a tongue tie, should go to a, a, a professional, a, a physician. So let's talk about some of that milk storage and those concepts and how to best store and, and transport maybe to the to wherever yes. you are. Because if we've got moms that are pumping, whether it be at work or at home and transporting it, uh, what are your thoughts and ideas on that? All right. Yes. In terms of milk storage and transport, um, it, it's milk is pretty stable and breast milk in particular because it is a living tissue. Um, so you want to try to store it. We, you can keep it in a refrigerator. Actually, if you're pumping away from home, um, you're at work or someplace where you're pumping and you don't have a refrigerator to put the milk in, if you've got an insulated bag with an ice pack, it is actually good for 24 hours in an insulated bag with an ice pack. So you can just stick it in there. I know when we've had moms in the ICU or it's on the other side of the hospital from the NICU, We've, I've had them just put it in. I said, just get some ice. They've got ice machines everywhere in a hospital. Just get a little bucket of ice. Just set it in that ice until somebody can bring it over to the NICU. So just doing, you know, keeping it cool, keeping it cold until we can, can get it over there. Um, the best thing to pump milk into is actually glass. Uh, but the hard plastic is second best and certainly what everybody's going to use. <laughs> now, I know a lot of people like to use the plastic bags. Um, there is a little bit of adherence of the fat and, and nutrients to the sides of the plastic bags, but it's not that significant, particularly because most of the time when you're using the bags, it's later on. It's usually many weeks, if not months into a breastfeeding experience. So it's not going to be as critical as those first few days, weeks, where we want to get every single possible nutrient from that and fat globule from that milk that we can. So that's where I would definitely use the hard plastic containers. I imagine most facilities are providing the, the plastic bottles, the hard plastic bottles uh, for pumping. But I've had moms um, bring milk in in baby food jars or something where they forgot to pick up bottles, where they didn't have anything. Um, again, that's tough. Try to get a good storage of, of those bottles if you can uh, <clears throat> so that you don't have to resort to, to something else at, at, um, once, once you get home. But yeah, it should be hard plastic bottles. Um, as far as storage goes, I said 24 hours if you're away from home in a free in a insulated bag with a freezer pack. 
Um, if you get pump and you can't get it to a refrigerator right away, a couple of hours sitting at, at, on the counter is not going to hurt it. In fact, there have been a couple of studies where milk was left out at room temperature. And most of the studies, the temperature was done around 72, 70, I believe around 72 degrees in the room. Um, and milk actually had less bacteria in it at 24 hours than it did when it was first pumped. Milk is living tissue. There are antibacterial properties in that milk. So even the bacteria that was picked up from mom's skin when she pumped was removed by the milk by 24 hours. So we don't advocate leaving it out on the counter for 24 hours, but if it's a couple of hours before you can get it into a refrigerator, it's not bad. It doesn't need to be thrown out. Um, but we keep it in the refrigerator for a good three days, three to four days. And then at that point, if it's not used, it can go into a freezer. It doesn't have to be thrown out. Well, it's four days, it's expired. We got to throw it out. No, stick it in the freezer. <laughs> refrigerator for four days. It's not going to be used within that amount of time, or you know it's not going to be used at all within that amount of time. Go ahead and get it into a freezer. In a refrigerator freezer, prefer that it's away from the door back in the back part of the freezer, because that's going to be the coldest part of the freezer. Uh, good for six months. And then if the deep freeze, and I think I should go into deep freeze sales because I think while I was a NICU lactation consultant, we had many, many people go out and have to buy a deep freeze to store their milk in because they couldn't have any place to put their family food. <laughs> so, um, but definitely in a deep freeze, it can be good up to a year. So uh, in fact, if you know, I know the milk bank is, is taking milk up to a year. And so it, it, it definitely can be kept. And, uh, and utilize, and what we try to do, I know in, in most NICUs is try to use, particularly in the first two weeks, use the milk in the order that it was pumped because the nutrients are obviously going to change. And we're going to change from that early colostrum to the transitional milk, to the more mature milk. So that milk is going to change. And what you probably will notice too, is if you're pumping, and these are what things that only pumping moms notice, is that the color changes, all the color changes of milk. Oh my goodness, from what's called the rusty pipe where you get kind of that reddish brown color to it, which may be from some um, deep papillomas or whatever in the breast. It's not bad for the baby. If blood gets into the milk, it is not something you've got to throw out. Um, if there's a lot of frank blood in the milk, sometimes babies won't tolerate, but most of the time they don't care. They will drink the milk. It does not need to be tossed because of that. Um, green, I've seen lots of green milk and generally I have one mom, she was eating tons of kale. And I said, what are you eating? <laughs> she was eating a lot of kale and her milk was so green. Um, cantaloupe, I've, this mom had just eaten a whole bunch of cantaloupe. She brought in milk. You could smell it when we opened the bottles. You could smell the cantaloupe and it had kind of an orangish color to it. So um, sometimes staff freaks out and they call lactation and say, come look at this milk. And first thing I do is go to mom and say, hey, what have you been eating? <laughs> so, and that usually explains. So moms will see that. Um, then also with different medications, what we've told moms, if you get sick or if you've got on a medication, rather than pump and dump, some, some people say they automatically, they don't know. If they don't know, they tell you to dump the milk and it makes us crazy. So um, mark those bottles, say mark them, put a dot on them, however you want to label that milk. Don't throw out the milk. Don't do anything. You know, don't pump and dump. 
just go ahead, keep pumping, keep moving the milk, but mark those bottles for what if you've if you've been sick and you're worried about the milk, um, which most times is not an issue. You pass antibodies to the baby. You don't pass the illnesses to the baby through your milk. If it's a medication and you're not really sure whether it's safe to take, mark those bottles. Then go in and ask somebody who knows what they're talking about, who knows and can uh, and answer your question well, uh, or call the um, breastfeeding hotline, get, get an answer to that, but save, keep, keep pumping and save that milk. Uh, if you're having surgery, there is no anesthesia that is contraindicated. Uh, you don't need to pump and dump for that. If you have an x-ray procedure, 90% of them are safe. There are only a few. Usually, it's there. if they use a radioactive isotope, you shouldn't be around anybody. <laughs> Those are about the only things that are contraindicated. Uh, same thing. Keep pumping. Save that milk. Mark it get your questions answered on that. But it is uh, it is definitely very, very stable and, and can be kept for quite a period of time. So I've had a couple of moms that I'm sure that those babies had breast milk until they started school. So. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, I mean, it, it, the research behind breast milk and what it does for a baby and even beyond that, it, it's, it's just fascinating. Mm -hmm. it, it truly is fascinating, so. I, I appreciate you sharing today all of your wisdom, your knowledge, uh, your experiences, and, and just being a cheerleader. I really do. This has been a wonderful conversation, and I, I can't wait to take it to the community and to our fellow um, you know, families in any kind of situation that, that they may be struggling, because I, I know they're going to hear your words, and they're going to be... Um, I don't know. They're going to, they're going to feel your love and support. So I appreciate oh, good. That. I hope so. Because again, I we covered so much ground that it, I, we could just keep going. I'm just so passionate. And, and these, I said, Nikki moms are my heroes. And it's just want to give you every chance to succeed that we possibly can without as try and take those roadblocks away. Cause there's a whole lot of roadblocks in front of y'all. And so if we can take those roadblocks off and just give you that support along with that journey and make it successful and the journey that you want for you and your baby. Thank you for listening to this episode of We Saved You a Seat. Oklahoma Family Network promotes family-centered care and provides tools so families can make informed decisions, advocate for improved services, build connections among families, and serve as a trusted resource in health care of children and young adults. If you would like to become a supporting family or get in touch with another family, please contact Oklahoma Family Network at oklahomafamilynetwork.org or by calling 405-271-5072.